So, yeah, I wanted to talk to you all today about baptism. And, uh, you know, I often preach and teach about baptism, the day of baptism. And uh, and, in thinking ahead, I thought, you know what, let's teach uh, and preach on baptism the week before and maybe uh, inspire, uh, motivate uh, more people to say, I want to, I need to be baptized and why that's important. The title of my message today is The Pictures of Baptism. I've never preached this message uh, specifically before, although there's pieces and parts of it that you'll recognize that I have spoken uh, many, many times. But in relationship to us understanding the pictures, and we all know that pictures serve a purpose. Uh, how many of y'all like to take pictures on your, your device on your phone? Let me see your hands. Okay, yeah, I thought they'd eventually uh, fess up and raise their hands up there. Some people just get totally crazy about it. We have one, uh, thank you, darling. Thank you for thinking of that, too. I appreciate that. Uh, we have one friend uh, who has a camera problem. <laughs> I mean, there cannot be a, a single gathering of any kind when you don't have to pose five, six, eight, ten times to get multiple pictures uh and that i don't know any of you all who know me know that that i don't like that you know uh get you know take the one shot and then leave me alone quit trying to you know you know put a ribbon in my hair and get the right right shot and everything and some people are just nuts about pictures and how many of you on your cell phones you've got so many pictures you don't even know what's there uh-huh or, or, or in Diane's case, she has so many pictures that her phone storage gets full and she can't download anymore, so she has to go in and start deleting. What, you too? <laughs> uh, and a lot of pictures, you know, pictures, I, I take a lot of pictures too. I, I really do, but, you know, I, I delete a lot as well. But, uh, but we all love to take pictures, and especially at... Um, Family gatherings, right? At family gatherings, you know, birthdays, you like to take a lot of photos, and, uh, and Christmas, the holidays, here we are entering, entering holidays. There's going to be a whole lot of photos that are going to be uh, taken. And so, you know, you can just kind of scroll through all of those photos, and it brings back to remembrance an occasion, an occurrence. And you don't just see the picture, but you, in your heart, really, you kind of relive that whole, that whole moment, right? You understand uh, what I'm saying? And so, uh, yeah, photo albums, reminiscing, what's the shot? Diane's always, you know, uh, anytime I give a person a hard time about Facebook, their, their, their excuse is, but this is how I keep up on all my family's pictures. So, what? I'm speaking to somebody else? Amen. You know what? How long has it been since I've got an amen out of my wife? There you go. Praise the Lord. <laughs> So, yeah, reminiscing, you see the picture, you reminisce of what was happening at the time. You know, this last summer I caught a, a very large uh, rainbow trout at the lake, was, which was actually very unheard of at that lake to catch a large one. And I took one picture, and it was right when I, right when I finally got it landed in the boat. Now, I can look at that picture, and I remember the day, I remember the time of day, I remember the water conditions. I remember what bait I was using. <clears throat> I remember the fly. I remember every part uh, of that occurrence because of one single picture. Y'all know what I'm saying? Yeah. So pictures mean things. This is uh, super duper important to Diane. I mean, all of her pictures uh, that she takes ends up in books. And... Which one is that? Oh, it's Flynn, okay. After 10, you just go, which one is that? <laughs> and so, you know, so she has all of these, you know, these books uh, that she puts together of all the, uh, the babies and, and stuff. And so, uh, there's Stella and then Emily, or Emily and, and Diane. And so, and these are just filled with beautiful, I don't know how many of y'all make uh, books like this with your pictures. Uh, her first sale as a real estate agent. Uh, let's see, here's my family. Huh? 
Shutterfly is how you do it. You see Diane later on, and then, of course, the grandkids. And so I, I didn't bring these to show you, uh, you know, I don't keep a photo album where I can say, well, let me show you my grandkids, you know. Uh, but Diane does, and, I, and when I was writing this message about pictures, I went, hey, where's your picture books at? It's a good example of some people take it pretty seriously, you know. If you're going to have a book bound, you're taking it pretty seriously. And uh, I'm glad that she does because it's pretty doggone amazing. <laughs> so, you know, pictures mean things. And they're important to us, right? So we're entering into the holiday season, and I know there's going to be all kinds of pictures that are going to be taken, and maybe some of you are going to have to empty some of the stuff from your phones in order to have enough storage for the next batch of pictures. So they, they preserve moments in time. Again, every one of these pictures, Diane, could tell you the story of the day just like I can about maybe woodworking or fishing or whatever. So we all have different interests, but, you know, and so it causes us to kind of replay the event in our mind, replay the event in our heart. And baptism is like that as well. What it does is baptism creates for us a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of us can, whether you have a photograph of it or not, you can think back on your baptism and remember the entire event. If you have a picture of it, all you got to do is see the picture and you remember everything, everything that took place. And so this morning, I would like for us to take a look at a photo album, if you will, metaphorically, of baptism in the Bible. And so as we get into it, you will hear some things that you go, yeah, he's talked about that before, but that's all right. Uh, I'll, I'll write a brand new message when everyone gets the old one, and then, uh, then we'll move on to something else. But turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3. And let's take a look at some of the pictures of baptism. Amen. I love the word too. Praise God. Are you ready? Let me get this handout out here so I don't forget to address it. Is that my phone? No, I got my ringer shut off. Okay. Matthew chapter 3. Now, we got a few pictures about baptism in uh, Matthew. This would be more of a, a teaching kind of Sunday morning versus a preaching kind of Sunday morning. Uh, it says in verse 13 of the third chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? There's, a, there's, there's probably some pictures to be um, deciphered even from that setting. You could talk about the fact that maybe John knew that the Messiah, he knew, of course, that his cousin uh, Jesus was the Messiah. He, there was no question about that. And so he probably already knew he was sinless. Uh, he probably already knew that, you know, in the grand scheme of humanity, he didn't need to be baptized. But he also was a recognition of his own sinfulness and the fact that uh, if anybody in this setting needed to be baptized, it was John, you know, not not Jesus. So that's an interesting picture. But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Wow. Now we understand that we have become the righteousness of God, but is it possible that something stands in the way of that in us? I know it's a spiritual event that takes place, but baptism is an act of obedience. Man, it's quiet in here. It's an act of obedience in our lives. So what does it say to Father, if you accept his Son as Lord and Savior, and the shed blood that he gave for you and I, and the suffering that he had to say, yeah, I'm, I'll take it all but baptism. I won't have the baptism part. So there's something powerful in the picture of how baptism fulfills righteousness. Uh, this is number one. Baptism is a picture of righteousness 
with God being fulfilled in us. Now, I looked up the word fulfilled, and I thought it was very, very cool that one of the definitions of the word fulfilled is to bring something into realization. Are you hearing me? To bring, so even though there's a whole lot of stuff that's already happened spiritually in our life because it was all done at the finished work of Jesus Christ at the cross of Calvary, right? But for many of us, there are a lot of those things that were accomplished at the finished work of Jesus Christ at Calvary that we have yet to realize in our lives. You following me? So what baptism does is it fulfills or brings into a realization the righteousness of God. I have the righteousness of God because of what Christ did on the cross of Calvary. But is it a reality in my life and in my living? Are you Understand spiritually. All right, but I talked last week about who we are as human beings, and we got to bring our humanity into the presence of God as well. Otherwise, we leave something at the door, right? We're created a three-part being, a spirit and a soul that lives in a, an earth suit. And the soulish realm and the earth suit is the part that, uh, that really we have to work on for the rest of our lives. We have to renew the mind. That's the soulish realm. We, we hope to, to renew the body as much as we can, but that's almost, forgive me for saying so, a little bit of a losing battle because the older you get, um, you, you know, the more the older you get. And you, any of you who are getting older, you know what that feels like, right? The younger are like, yeah, I ain't never going to get old. And uh, the not so young realize that that um, actually does happen. So I, I, I love the fact that uh, baptism helps bring into realization, to reality, the righteousness of God in my life. So I need to, I need to pull out that metaphoric photo album, right? And uh, look back, now back when I got baptized, I don't think we had cell phones, okay? So there, there's a mark in one of my Bibles that shows the date and the person who baptized me. And it's the only thing written on that page in the Bible uh, it's in, in the front cover area, and I can, I can look at just that image of those words, and I remember the, the moment, I remember the church, I remember, I, don't, I think I even remember like the temperature of the wall. I just remember everything about that. But even then, I didn't realize that by, I understand the phrase, fulfill all righteousness. We, we've kicked that phrase around a lot. That baptism fulfills righteousness. Or righteousness, another meaning for it is right standing with God. So baptism fulfills right standing with God. But how can it possibly fulfill it if it was already accomplished and finished on the cross of Calvary? What it does is it brings it into reality. Are y'all hearing me? I mean, that in, in, in and of itself is enough to get everybody to line up to be baptized. To have the idea and the the knowledge of this righteousness of God. Many, many people have heard the phrase, you have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But I'll guarantee you, there's a great percentage of the many who don't feel that way. Huh? And so baptism, you need to go back to your photo album, if you will, and remember when you were baptized, because what it does is it, it's, it's that moment in time when the righteousness of God in your life became Reality. Now all you got to do is realize it and walk in it. Can you say amen? amen? So when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately. This is verse 16 uh, from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. We're going to come back to that in a moment. When Jesus was baptized in that moment, because it was really the beginning of the Messiah's ministry it was a pretty massive event in the history of mankind. I mean, something physically happened. The skies opened up. The Holy Spirit appeared in what seemed to be the form of a dove, and a voice came through the rip in the skies. So uh, I don't expect that we'll have a baptism where, you know, angels come and roll back the roof. Um, or a voice from heaven. But here's what I do realize. In the spirit realm, it's happening. Have you ever thought of that? You see, we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We are brothers 
He's our Savior. Let's not, let's not diminish him at all. But the Bible teaches us that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Any of you who have been adopted or have adopted kids, you know that your adopted kids have every right and privilege as your blood-born children, right? And so if Jesus caught, had that happen to him in a, in a physical reality, I believe with all my heart it's happening in the spirit. And, and I can just run with that all day long. Okay, we're going to come back and talk to that for a minute in just a minute. But <coughs> excuse me, turn with me to Mark chapter 1. Everybody all right? Praise the Lord. Diane, can I hand you these books, please? Thank you for remembering that. Mark chapter 1. Now, Mark is a pretty cool author of one of the Gospels. And Mark is pretty straightforward and to the point and succinct. And he doesn't embellish a lot of details. Uh, it, it just pretty much gives you a snapshot of what's taking place. You know, we... You get Luke, who is the great physician. You know, Luke is going to be more detail-oriented, just being a physician. So, you you know, I think you have chapters in Luke that have like 60-some-odd verses in them. And you're like, oh, there's a whole lot of information going on in here. Mark gets right to the point. And it's very cool about how Mark starts his gospel. In verse 1, it says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How's that for getting right to the skinny? He says, here's my introduction. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are y'all hearing me? Are you catching it? And, uh, he, and then he goes right on into sharing about his baptism. A profound event. An event that Jesus really didn't need, didn't have to have. But he gave us an example of what it is that we are to do. And, it, and Mark says this is the storyline of the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to start in verse 9, verses 1 through 8, just kind of lead up to that moment of baptism. And um, verse 9, it came to pass in those days... That Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw heavens, saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So one of the things that we see in this picture is number two on your handout Baptism is a picture of the approval of God. Think about it. Now, again, I, I, don't, I don't expect that we're going to see the, the, the roof rolled back and the heavens rolled back and, and, and a, a beautiful Holy Spirit-like dove flying into the room and landing on whoever's being baptized and a voice booming from heaven. That happened to Jesus, but we're joint heirs with Jesus. So I believe that something happens in the Spirit. I just believe it in my heart that something happens in the spirit that's very akin to what happened physically when Jesus. And so one of the things was this approval. He said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Think about that for a moment. Uh, you get baptized. You go under the water. And we're going to talk a few minutes about some of the other aspects of this. But you come up out of the water. And in the spirit, God is saying, that's my daughter, or that's my son, in whom I am well pleased. It's like a moment, you know, where in, in the history of life, in the history of Christianity, in the history of your Christianity, it's like, okay, that's my moment of the seal of God's approval on my life. Now, I don't need to live, I don't live my life, for example, needing the approval of other human beings. I like it. All of us like the approval of others, right? Right? But I don't need it as a part of my existence. And honestly, we don't need God's approval as a part of our existence either because we've already spiritually been made 
the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Okay, we understand that, that whole spiritual aspect, but, but we also know there's a passage of Scripture, for example, says without faith it is possible to please God. So I can have stuff in my natural life that it would be easy enough, even theologically, to say God would be displeased with that part of my life, or he would be potentially pleased with that part of my life. But we carry that on our own humanity like, uh, like a, uh, an iron suit, okay? I am not pleased with my life, so therefore God must not be pleased with my life. But that's the wrong idea behind it, because all I need to do is look back on my picture of baptism, because that was the moment in life when God said, that's my son, Ricky. I am so pleased with my boy. I don't need it ever again. That's my one picture to go back and remember those moments. And so baptism is, if you will, a picture of the approval of God. And number three, and this is a very important one, that baptism is a picture of the impartation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Now many, it's very possible, maybe very probable even, that many have been baptized and have never thought about the fact that that was the moment of your anointing for the calling on your life. You might say, well, how can you say that? You see, Jesus didn't have a ministry before this. He was already the son of God. We know that. His mama knew that. But he was being raised a carpenter. But he came to baptism and the Holy Spirit descended upon him, which is a sign of the anointing of God. And he walked away from there into his ministry. Now, he walked away from that very moment as the Holy Spirit led him or prompted him into the wilderness. It's like this is the onset of the Holy Spirit's prompting and leading in my life. This is the onset. Many of you may have had a dream since childhood, maybe raised in Sunday school and had and thought, boy, I want to be a missionary someday or I want to do this someday. And that could very well be a calling of God that he planted in your life and your heart. You know what happens on the day of baptism? The anointing of the Holy Spirit comes on you for that calling to accomplish the things that God has called you to do. It's very possible. I could be wrong that there are a lot of people in the room here today. Wow, I never thought about that as a part of my baptism. Okay? And I'm not talking about whether you were baptized with sprinkling or whether you were baptized with uh, dunking under the water like a Dunkin' Donut. Uh, 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 I'm not talking about whether you were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost or whether you were baptized in the name of Jesus or whether you were baptized by just some other person or whether you were baptized by an ordained minister. I'm not talking about that because baptism is very much a, a matter of the heart. Not a matter of the style in which it is done. Styles in which it is done is religion. Are you hearing me? If your heart is in the right place, I could probably just go get a bucket of water from the pool and just throw it on you. But there'll be some religious folks that say, now, if there was even one piece of dry skin after the baptism, it ain't done. That's religion, y'all. All right, so I'm not here to talk about the style or how it's done or where it's done or, or when it's done. I believe that when a person has their heart in the right place for baptism, they are candidates to receive the picture album of what all this means. And if so, if you've been struggling with trying to determine and figure out what your calling is, or you've known your calling and you've just been waiting for God to say yes and have just felt empty about it. Baptism is a moment in your life that can bring that to a realization for you. So, you know, what does it say here? It says, uh, uh, he saw heaven, this is verse 10 uh, in the same chapter of Mark 1, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from uh, heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then look what happened. Immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness. So there was a connection with the anointing and the presence of his father God in his life that was notable. It may have been there before. We don't have note of it. We have no note of anything after 
you know, what happened when he was 12 years old. You all know that story, right? Yeah, he went to the, you know, went, they went to Jerusalem for the census, and, and he was in the temple debating and talking scripture with uh, the rabbis and stuff. His parents left the city thinking that he was with them. Now, those of you with small children, think about how you'd feel. Just, just think about it. So, and they didn't even realize he was gone until they were already three days on their journey. Yeah, there's a mama over here who maybe haven't heard this since you were a mama. You're thinking, what? So three days they realized Jesus wasn't even in the caravan. So, right, you freaking out yet? And so they go back to find Jesus, and I imagine they looked all over the city looking for Jesus. And they finally, for whatever reason, however it happened, found him in the temple. Now, we all get this right, really pristine picture of Mary, right? And so Mary says, where have you been, son? We've been deadly worried about you. And he's like, what are you worried about me for, woman? Now, right about then, you mamas know, Jesus just had an ear that just got a little bit longer. Okay, if you want to know what happened to Jesus for those 12 years that aren't recorded in the Bible, he was grounded. I'm just telling you, he was grounded. Got to be She was probably switching him all the way back to the caravan, right? <laughs> Praise God. So, number one was it's a picture of righteousness with God being realized, coming into realization. I love that definition of the word fulfill. Uh, baptism is a picture of the approval of God. He says, man, that's my son or that's my daughter. I am so well pleased. There's probably some folks in here today, I'm, I'm even one of them, who maybe even at this, I'm 66 years old and and would sure still love to maybe one day hear the words of my dad saying, Rick, I'm really pleased with you. I probably will never hear that. But let me help you with something. I don't need to hear that. Because my father in heaven said that over me. Amen? So let's not get all caught up in our flesh and go, oh, I'm just going to be a, a, a measly little mealworm because I never, I didn't get my father's attention or my mother's attention or I was abandoned or I was abused and I could go down the whole list of things that would be a part of my checklist of life. All I need is my father in heaven who said, that's my son and I'm so happy with him. Come on, somebody. That's what baptism is. And then it's, baptism is a picture of the impartation of the anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Wow! Powerful. Now, turn. Uh, no, we won't turn. I have this one on the screen. I think it's Acts chapter 2. I've spoken about this one a few times before. Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39. And again, we're just looking at some biblical pictures. Uh, we're opening up the album book and saying, here's what the pictures of baptize, baptism mean. Baptism... In Acts chapter 2, verses 38 through 39, and just to kind of set the backstory, Jesus had ascended into heaven. Uh, about 120 disciples were in an upper room in Jerusalem. They were waiting on the promise of God. They didn't even know what it was going to be. They were just up there waiting. I mean, they had over 480, uh, 380 people had already abandoned them. I think their numbers were somewhere around 500 after the crucifixion and before Jesus uh, ascended into heaven. And they, they all fell apart except for 120. And they were in an upper room together waiting and worshiping and praying and, and just wondering. And all of a sudden, suddenly the Holy Spirit showed up on the scene. You all know the story. And it, it appeared as though uh, um, tongues of fire landed upon them all. And they spoke in other tongues, wherein we get the doctrine of speaking in tongues. And um, so all the people in the city heard what was going on. Remember, it was the season for the census. So there were multiple dialects and nationalities that were in Jerusalem at that time, okay? And so um, they all heard these disciples worshiping and praising God in their own language. 
I, don't, I can't even begin to try to determine how many possible spiritual miracles took place that day. And you can look at it from any avenue that you want. But uh, they, the people kept going, what's going on? What's going on? These people are drunk. And, and Peter, he stood up, right, on the balcony or whatever. And he's a men and brothers, these people are not drunk as you think. This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit upon mankind so forth and so on and so on. And he preached this message way shorter than any message I've ever preached, at least based on what's written. And uh, when it was all done preaching, he didn't even have to do an altar call because they all said, well, what do I got to do? And here's what he said in verses 38 and 39. And then Peter said to them, <coughs> repent and let every one of you, how many of you? How many of you? Every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus, and I love this from the New King James Version, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the remission of sins. That's number four on your paper, and I want to talk about that word just for a moment, remission. Baptism is a picture of the sin nature being put into remission. Now, I know, you look in the dictionary, the first couple of definitions of the word remission is to remit or to pardon or to forgive. So th there's, there's the potential to say that at baptism my sins were forgiven. Well, I don't go with that specific doctrine because that happened at the cross of Calvary. At the moment that I repent, I am forgiven, Okay. Uh, and, and, and pardoned, that happened at the cross of Calvary as well. Uh, now, granted, if I choose not to be baptized, then I am not being obedient to the Word of God, and I can't expect all the benefits that God has for me at the cross of Calvary either. Are you all hearing me, beloved? So baptism is such an easy thing. It's amazing to me the number of people who say, ah, I'm not going to do that, um, which is basically saying I want all of God but that, and this must be one of the most important parts of God because Jesus himself went to the water and said, John, don't argue with me about this. Let's do this because we must. How can any one of us have the audacity to say, not me. I'll follow Jesus everywhere but the water. So remission, interestingly, although it does mean pardon, it does mean forgive, but it also means from a medical standpoint to temporarily, and I'm just, this is literally quoting from the dictionary, to temporarily or permanently decrease or end the manifestations and symptoms of disease. See, there's a part of who we are that is supposed to change in our life, especially at baptism. Uh, we're going to find out in a minute. We're going to look at how baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how we go into the water and we bury the old man or the old woman and we rise in the newness of life. This is a spiritual picture in this album. But for me, you know, we all deal with the sin nature. We have been forgiven of our sins, and we have been freed from the penalty of our sins. But I doubt very seriously there's a human being within earshot of my voice that does not deal with the human, carnal, fleshly, sinful nature to some degree. Except apparently all y'all. And we have... We have times, seasons in our life when we're just extremely powerful spiritually and we seem that we're able to overcome every sinful, carnal nature in our life. And then we have other times in our life when we're, we're weaker and it feels like, boy, the, the, the sin nature is winning this arm wrestling battle with me. Can I get a witness from anybody? So 
even though we've been freed from sin, cleansed from sin, and forgiven of sin, we still have this sin nature that our corrupt earth suit and our corrupt mind will have to deal with as long as we're in this earth suit. And it's an ongoing. Paul talked about how the, the, he wars, the spirit wars against the flesh. And he even talked about things where he said, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't. Can, that, can anybody get a witness there? And so we constantly deal with the sin nature. Okay? Uh, but you know what baptism does? It puts the sin nature in remission. Now, most all of us, when we hear the word remission, we don't think of pardon or forgiveness or payment. We think of a person who has cancer or had cancer, and now their cancer, cancer is in remission, right? That's the, the common word. That's why this is so powerful to me to utilize this word in this fashion. I, I, all over the fact that I've been pardoned and I've been forgiven, come on, somebody. But the fact that my sin nature has been put into remission is powerful. For a person who has or had cancer and their cancer is in remission, the doctors will say the cancer's still in there. It just no longer has any power over you. Are y'all hearing me? The cancer's still in there. But it's no longer dictating your life. It's no longer affecting your life. You need to take no medicine. Come back once a year and we'll check on this thing. But it's in remission, right? So I go down into the water and I receive God's approval. And I receive a realization of his righteousness. And I'm anointed for the calling in my life. And, and, and my sin nature is put into remission. What is it saying? Still in there. But it no longer has the power to dictate what you do and what you don't do. I wish somebody would praise the Lord. Picture of baptism. Wow. Do you know that some people use baptism as a, as a means to become a member of a church? You show up at church and you accept Christ. You get baptized. Now you're, you're a member of the church. What about what happens spiritually? The spiritual picture album of this beauty of baptism. So it means from a medical standpoint that it temporarily or permanently decreases or ends the manifestations and symptoms of the sin nature in me. Come on, y'all. That's the most powerful thing. If I say anything else, this would be the most powerful thing I said all day long. For you to realize that your sin nature is in remission. Oh, I think you should just stand and give the Lord a praise for that, right? Come on, stand with me. Let's praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Now turn with me to the book of Colossians. Man, we're going to have ourselves a baptism next week, Jonathan. Amen. It's going to be amazing. Colossians. Come on. And I'm going to read from the second chapter of the book of Colossians. I'm going to try not to get too deep into the theology that's in this passage of Scripture. But there is some importance to it as it relates to you turn the page in the photo album. And then there's this picture from Colossians about what our baptism has meant. Or for those of you who are going to get baptized next week, what it means to you now. Starting with verse 11 of the second chapter of the book of Colossians. Now the subtitle in my Bible is not legalism, but Christ. Say that, not legalism, but Christ. Say it again, not legalism, but Christ. Say it one more time, not legalism, but Christ. You see, when you get all caught up in the form and fashion of how you're baptized, that's legalism. 
Now, we're a Dunkin' Donut baptizing church. Okay? We're, we're not a dipping and a sprinkling. But I tell you what, I've spent way too many times in my years bringing denigration to people who were sprinkled and saying it wasn't enough. Now, over the years, y'all have heard me say many times, I don't mean to bring denigration to the baptism that happened in your life. And I'm not speaking about that in terms of the sprinkling. I'm speaking about that because usually when that happens is as an infant. And the one thing that I'm not in agreement with is that infants have a clue about what they're doing when they get baptized. All right? So for me, it, you know, I, I'd be happy to throw a bucket of water in your face if that's what, you know, what it takes. But you just have to know why I did it. <laughs> right on? And so Colossians chapter 2. So there's some interesting words in here that maybe we're a little uncomfortable in our church life today because it's not talked about very often. But remember, it's what? Not legalism. Say it. Not legalism. But Christ. Okay. Uh, verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Now, for the Jewish nation, the circumcision made by hand was an identifying mark of who they belonged to. Okay? In our current culture, it's not an identifying mark in any way, shape, or manner. Okay? But it's, that's why it says the circumcision not made by hands. By putting the body of the sins of the flesh, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Look here. Buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God and raised him from the dead and you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us and by the way the handwriting of requirements that was against people was the law all right that was the handwriting of requirements that was contrary to us, and he has taken it out of the way. The handwriting of ordinances has been taken out of the way, and he nailed it to the cross, it says. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle um, of them triumphing over them. And so, number five on your handout is baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, we have to have the same sufferings, the same the th same things that Jesus did we have to do. But aren't you glad that we don't have to go to a cross like he did? Aren't you glad that we don't have to go through the suffering like he did? But he's saying all you have to do is be baptized. And when you are baptized, it's as though you are going through the death, the burial, and resurrection that I did for you on that day of, of Calvary. Okay? Now, so there's something powerful that happens there, though. There is a part of us that we need to crucify. Huh? And that is crucify the flesh. We're not very good at that. We like to feed the flesh. We like to bless the flesh. We like to make sure that the flesh is satisfied with everything. Heaven forbid we sacrifice anything to make the flesh weaker in our life. Now, I've shared this example with you all many times. When I was growing up, I liked to, to read comic books, okay? And in the back of the comic books, there was always a Charles Atlas ad. How many of you, you men, remember a Char the Charles Atlas ads in the back? And one of the cartoon pictures that I always remembered was uh, the, the skinny, scrawny guy He's on a beach, and there's this beautiful babe, right, on a, on a towel there laying on the beach. Y'all, you remember that, you remember the picture? And then, and then here comes some big bully kicking sand all over them, right? And so a little scrawny guy says, I, he sees a Charles Atlas ad. Dun, dun, da, 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 da. Like me. I saw that ad. I ain't never had the babe on a towel at the beach, but I'm thinking, boy, if I ever do, I don't. I hear what I did have. I was bullied all the time. 
I was a victim of bullying before bullying was a thing. Can I get a witness? And I didn't like it anymore. So I got, I ordered the Charles Atlas thing. I did. I ordered up the Charles Atlas thing. And y'all can see what a great job it did. Later on in life, I realized I didn't need muscles to win a girl. I just needed a guitar and a love song. That's it. <laughs> Praise God. But my whole point with that is that for some of us, spiritually, we're like the little scrawny kid in that cartoon that can't stand up to the enemy who comes to kick sand in our eyes and in our life. And for many of us, we may be fit on the outside or not, but fit on the outside, but spiritually, we aren't fit at all. That something that happens at the death, burial, and resurrection of baptism. So uh, turn with me now to Romans chapter 6. I'm giving you a snapshot run through the album of photos for baptism. Everybody all right? Are you learning anything today? This is, this is one of my favorites. It really is. Now, I want you to notice the subtitle. My subtitle says, Dead to Sin, Alive to God. Oh, come on. We don't even need to read the passage. The subtitle was good enough, man. Dead to Sin, Alive to God. Glory to God. I'm going to read verses 1 through 6. Sixth chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ, Jesus, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Are you hearing me? For we, if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man, or let me add, old woman, old person, was crucified with him, and that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. So baptism... If you take your baptism seriously, all the things that I've shared with you thus far are enacted for you. But you come out of that, you go down into that water, a dead man or dead woman to be buried under the surface of the water. But you come up out of that water, resurrected into a brand new life. And life, yeah, and life should be different for you every day after that baptism. This is the man I used to be is no longer in control and is no longer power. Now, the old Rick occasionally tries to show up on the scene. Huh? But I ordered the Charles Atlas program. It's called the Holy Bible spiritually, amen. And I know which scriptures to kick sand in that snake's face and get him to leave me alone. But I, don't, I no longer need to live like the old man. I share this story with you as well. Uh, we, I think we were moving, we're packing to move from Breckenridge over the lake and going through stuff. And you know how you find stuff that you haven't seen in like forever, you know, when you're packing and unpacking. And I found my old um, music book from when I used to play rock and roll and, and, and play in the lounge, dinner lounges and stuff. And I had this notebook that kept all these songs. I had this notebook since I was 18 years old, okay? And so literally most of all the pages were yellow. All the, you'd, you'd think I was like ancient, you know, because they were all yellow around there. And, but it was kind of interesting. I found all these old songs and they acted almost immediately like a, a quantum leap back to win. Huh? And I thought, oh, I remember singing that song. What I didn't realize is I didn't remember the song. I just remembered singing that song. But I went and grabbed my guitar opened up my notebook, and I started trying to play the song. I get about two lines into the first verse, and I don't even remember how this goes. 
And then, so I'm, you know, getting on YouTube and everywhere else trying to remember how the song goes. And you know what? And I fought with it. I fought with it probably an hour trying to play some of these songs. And you know what the Holy Spirit said to me? He said, Rick, you're trying to... He said, you're trying to put an old suit on a new man. He said, that's why it don't work. You're putting an old suit on a new man. And I closed that book up and I ain't never played one of them songs again. Can I... Amen. Praise God. I'm a new man. It happened at baptism. Praise God. So number six, baptism is a picture presenting the beginning of a new life. Now, some of you just went through truly free. And you feel like you got a new lease on life. There's nothing in the Bible that says only one baptism. You can only have one baptism, only one per family. It's a baptism recession. No, man, I've been baptized two or three different times. I was a chronic backslider. That was me. I was a chronic backslider. And I would come back to Christ. And every time I came back to Christ, I wanted a fresh start. And I'd get baptized. I'm so glad that finally one of those stuck. Huh? I was probably doing it for all the wrong reasons. But I'm just saying there's nothing wrong with being rebaptized. I've already had at least one person come to me and say, you know what? I just went through truly free and I want to get baptized because everything's new for me now. So we don't make you jump through any hoops. There's only one hoop you got to jump through. Is Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior? Amen. Yep. Get in the water. We're going to do it. <laughs> and then my final point is number seven. Baptism is a picture of a public witness telling others about your new life in Christ. It is an outward expression of an inward change. Jesus uh, shared, Scripture shares, I can't remember if Jesus said it, but uh, Scripture shares that, yeah, I think it was Jesus. He said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before God in heaven. Huh? Uh, and so, if you, so we can't, we have to have a public witness that says, I have accepted Christ into my life. It's an outward expression of an inner change. It's a public, with no public expression of your new life, you've left out an element of your Christianity that can hold you back in a lot of areas. Uh, the great story I, I found, it's um, about Henry Ford. But years ago, there was a machinist at Ford Motor Company in Detroit, and he became a Christian. After working there for many years, he became a Christian, and he was baptized. And he took his baptism very seriously. And he had been stealing parts and stealing tools from Ford for years. Don't raise your hands. <laughs> uh, well, the morning after his baptism, he went into the, the, his boss's uh, office. He took all the parts and all the tools back. He explained his situation to his boss uh, that about his recent conversion and about his baptism, and then he asked for forgiveness. Well, clearly the boss didn't know what to do. Henry Ford was over in Europe at another uh, uh, plant at the time, but he was uh, cabled, didn't make calls back then, he was cabled concerning the matter, and in the cable was a request for Henry Ford to respond to the cable. Well, his response was almost immediate uh, he said, uh, he said, dam up the Detroit River and baptize everybody in the city. <laughs> if this is what baptism did for one guy in my office, we need to get it. We should just dam up all the rivers and baptize every politician. Can I get a witness from somebody? Uh, <laughs> but Jesus took it a little bit further. In his great commission, he ordered his church to baptize all nations, all peoples. Not only did Jesus start his ministry, 
by sharing with us the profound importance of baptism. He ended his ministry by leaving a legacy of how baptism should, should remain sustained as an important part of our Christianity in our life. If the praise team can come forward and the prayer team come forward as well. Matthew chapter 28 verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Baptism is important to God. Not the form of your baptism, but the heart of the person being baptized. Because God doesn't look at the outward appearance. That's what man does. God looks at the heart. So it is, yeah, it's hopefully my prayer that maybe something in this message, maybe the anointing of the Holy Spirit inspired, motivated you, spurred you to say, you know what? I need a fresh start. I want to get baptized. So we're going to have a baptism next week. I think we have five, five people. Brother Jonathan is going to be doing the baptism for us next week. His uh, little girl, Zeta, wants to be baptized. And so I'm going to let him do that. He's going to help me out. Have any of y'all ever seen the movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? You, have, you ever seen, you've seen that movie? Yeah. <laughs> oh Brother, Where Art Thou? It's one of my favorite movies. I really dig that, that show. But it's a story that's set in the 1930s in Mississippi, and there were these three hapless um, escaped convicts. Uh, one was named Everett, the other was named Pete, and the third one was named Delmar. And uh, they were hiding out in the woods. They were running from the law. If you've never seen the movie, I encourage you to go home and watch Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Uh, but they encountered, as they were running through the woods, they encountered this procession of white-robed people. And not, not, it wasn't the Ku Klux Klan. <laughs> they were, they, it was a holiness church, okay? And they were all going down the river to do a baptism. So they all showed up at the river in their white, white robes. And as they moved toward the water, they would sing, let's go down to the river and pray. And as the baptism ceremony started, now they're sitting, I remember in the scene, they're watching it happen, and two of them are going, what's going on down there? And, and, uh, and so when they find Delmar, he's overwhelmed by the beauty of it. He's a cool character in this, uh, in this show, and he's kind of uh, intrigued by the mystery of the ritual. And so he runs down in the water. There's a whole line of people waiting to get baptized, and he just runs down in the water like a kid running into the water and he runs all the way up and I, I don't remember if he pushes away the person getting baptized but he's like he, he definitely cuts right in line and he gets baptized and as he returns to his companions back up in the woods he declares that now that he is now saved and neither God nor man got nothing on me now he said and then he explains that the minister uh, had told him that all his sins had been washed away. Every one of his sins. He said, even the sin when he stole the pig for which he had been convicted and went to jail. And his, his compadre said, but, but you said you were innocent of that. And he said, I lied and that's been cleansed too. So. <laughs> I lied but that's been cleansed too. We're going to worship a little bit more and uh, just enter into the presence of the Lord, and I'm not sure exactly what that's going to look like, but uh, we'll get there. But this is also a time for you to come and receive prayer uh, for anything. That's what our prayer team's up here for, to just uh, agree with you in prayer. And uh, so no matter what you may be facing in life, this is your, this is, this is your moment of response uh, to what's happened in our service, to the message, uh, to the Holy Spirit working in your heart. You need answers you need to come to God. That's where it all happens. And so uh, we also have a sign-up sheet in the back for the baptism. And I want to encourage you uh, to get signed up for our baptism next Sunday. A baptism doesn't cleanse your sins. Only the blood of Jesus can cleanse your sins.
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He's so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. Baptism doesn't save you. It's not what it does. Uh, Faith is what saves you. In Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verses 8 through 9, for by grace uh, uh, you have been saved. And that might be Ephesians. Is that 6 or 2? Yeah, I think it's 2. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works. See, baptism is a work. It's a physical work, an outward expression of an inward change. How many of you have been changed by the power of God in your life? Amen. Praise God.